everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host. Um, this week's show, I have Jake Winterman from Inside the Gators. And we are going to break down uh, Florida's loss to Michigan State. Kind of look ahead to what we hope Florida worked on um, over at Zams. And, and, you know, I think everybody wants the offense to, to work better. Uh, we'll talk about the Mercer game, Florida Gulf Coast, and the Orange Bowl Classic. And uh, kind of come up for air uh, before a huge game against Butler on uh, Peach Bowl Day, December 29th. So, um, hope you guys enjoy the show and and Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays to all of you uh, celebrating. Hey, can you hear me? Hey, you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, we got you. All right, sweet. All right. So, I am here with uh, Jake Winderman, Inside the Gators, and we are going to talk about uh, Florida and Michigan State, and then kind of look ahead to to what the Gators have coming up um, before Christmas, then ahead of a big game against Butler. So just kind of obviously disappointing uh, outcome um, against the Spartans, you know, kind of starts and ends with the offense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's sort of what Florida fans have been complaining about for a couple of years when the offense seems to go awry is that the three-pointers aren't falling and it seems like the team is taking them at an extraordinarily high clip and that the offense sort of stagnates in the half court. And while that's completely true, and both have sort of played the Gators over, let's say, the past season and a half, when they get into their tempo style, I I understand that they're forcing some of the longest defensive possessions uh, in all of college basketball, but when they've been forcing turnovers and getting in transition and playing quicker than they really rank in tempo right now and on any of the analytics sites, that's when they made their second half comeback against Michigan. When they let Andrew Nemhard and Kayvon Allen push the ball because they're both high IQ players. While Kayvon is aggressive when he wants to, whether or not he's doing that or isn't, he knows what's going on when he's getting out into transition. He's played on some fast-paced Florida squads in his previous three seasons. And Andrew Nemhard has an extremely high basketball IQ for a freshman. And when those two guys get out into transition, whether it's with those two, Keontae Johnson, DeAndre Ballard, Noah Locke, that's when their offense looks the best. It's when it looks the cleanest. And that's sort of been true since Mike White's been here at Florida. So there's obviously some things in the half court that you're going to need to fix because you can't run for a full 40 minutes. Although teams like Arkansas have tried to do that in the past. That's where they're going to find their success. It's been their MO for the last couple of years. But even on that, it all comes back to defense. That That's how they won the game versus West Virginia. That's how they've been able to win games during their most successful seasons under Mike White. I get that the half-court offense looks it looks a bit slow, looks a bit stagnant now, but it really all revolves around the defense, as simple as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think I think you make two good points there. One is that that are also borne out by analytics, and, and we know Mike White likes analytics, and he, I'm sure he sees what we see that this is a much more efficient offensive team when they're in transition. Now, some of that has to do with 
when your defense creates transition layups and, and things of that nature. But some of it is actually the shooting percentages are better when they go quick. A transition attempt being something within 10 seconds of the shot clock for listeners that don't know. So, you know, I mean, Cameron Allen goes from 46% effective field goal percentage to 62 transition. DeAndre Ballard is the only guy on the team who drops. He goes from 62 to 52. <laughs> and I don't think it really affects him much. He's going to he's gonna take kind of weird, wide shoot that shots anyway. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, so, so maybe Florida does need to go faster. Um, the other thing I thought they did better in non-transition offense was attack the rim. Some of those things related. Uh, but when you have a guard who might be undersized is physical and came on out, and then, then you have a bigger guard in Nimhard, and, and when they attacked the basket, they were able to to free up jump shooters. Now, Florida didn't make the shots, um, but maybe that's what, what they build on, because they've talked about going back to the drawing board, and I, I kind of think that would be a mistake. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you there. I, I don't think that they necessarily need to completely change their style to go out and get wins. It's it's sort of the point I made after the West Virginia game, after seeing how they won that game, is essentially the fact that they're holding other teams on defense to extremely long, tiring possessions. They're not just not giving up open shots. They are closing out quickly. They are dogging you from the minute you pass half court, if not earlier than that, when they're in a uh, full court press set. Off of that, like you sort of mentioned, they're getting better opportunities early in the shot clock because the team who was just on offense and had, I don't know, maybe a 20, 25 second possession, then has to run back as quickly as possible on defense. And that's tiring them out in effect hurting their offense on the other side as well. That's why you're seeing so many better opportunities and so many better scoring opportunities early in the clock. When they get down to the other side of the court quickly, they are going on a team who is tired from a long possession. Florida's possessions look bad when you basically see it get past about the 12-second mark in terms of 12 seconds passing on the shot clock. That's when you see a lot of standing around, not a lot of cutting, and that's where they allow the defense to take a second and take a breath and get back into what they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I think Florida's Florida's late offense is probably the largest problem. I think some because because they've had some sets where they move a little faster if it if they can get a shot off within the first 25 seconds shot clock. Uh, it's a little better, but it's the end. It's those last six, seven seconds, last five seconds that that really have been problematic. And some of it is we're taking contested threes or we're taking contested jumpers. But some of it, like you mentioned, is they space the floor, but then people don't move. And so what you've got is a situation where Kayvon Allen is taking the bulk of those shots right now because Jalen Hudson's fallen off the earth. But – Kayvon's only 27.3% effective field goal percentage late in the shot clock. So, um, in fact, Florida's best late offense guy right now is Keontae Johnson, uh, as weird as that is. So, 
And, and you know what? And, and I think that I, I think there's something to that in terms of Keontae is one of the guys who really is moving off the ball. You see him set up earlier in the shot clock, maybe in a screen position on the wing or sort of in the corner. And if you notice with Keontae, as the play goes on, you saw it's a bunch in the second half. It's how he gets a lot of his offensive rebounds. As the clock creeps down, he starts to creep closer and closer towards the rim, trying to get those fiend opportunities around the rim. We clearly know his athleticism and what he can do when he gets the ball in that area and I think that's one of the reasons why he's been such an effective player even specifically late in the shot clock it's not all transition alley-oops with Keontae Johnson and throwing down windmills he makes a lot of plays off the ball and probably one of the players who moves the most off the ball which again comes back to our original point of the freshmen and the underclassmen are doing what you want to see why can't the seniors follow suit Great question. And back to your point about Kayvon Allen's transition. And, you know, he's second on the 25. 31% of those assists are in transition, which leads the team in transition assist percentage. So I think that just gives people an idea that, like, when you actually look at what's happening just from percentages, uh, you know, Kayvon is a high IQ guy. Anybody that watches him play defense understands that. He, you know, he does understand how to do things and be effective with the ball um, and when Florida goes faster. And he's a player that has gotten better at that. Um, you know, I, I think if there's a positive to glean from these nine games, it's that after the Florida State game where you know, he just wasn't even – it was like he wasn't even in Tallahassee. Uh, Kayvon Allen's been pretty good. Yeah, Kayvon Allen has been good, and it's because you've seen him be aggressive early. I thought one of the best parts about the Michigan State game, and it's minuscule in the grand scheme of things, is on that first, essentially first possession Florida scores where Kayvon gets the rebound, goes down the floor, and pops the three. When he sets that tone from the first play, there's no saying, oh, our scouts from the last couple of games show he's being hesitant and he's passing. If he comes out, and even if he doesn't nail that first three-pointer, if he comes out shooting – it completely changes the way that the defense plays Florida. And if he comes out and makes it, he gets a similar scout to what he was seeing late in his sophomore year where teams have to give him help defense, have to play off of other wings. Uh, Centers in the post have to step up when he drives, and that single-handedly changes Florida's offense. Mike White, when he talks at these press conferences and continually says that Kayvon needs to be more aggressive for us to be better. Kayvon needs to shoot better. I tell him to shoot more. That's not just Mike White giving coachisms and just saying the same thing over and over. It is a completely different offense when Kayvon plays like he's the best player on the court and plays like he knows he's the best player on the court. Even if whatever it was Jalen Hudson last year with more NBA potential or Chris Chios' senior ability, Kayvon Allen has the most raw basketball talent and skill, arguably, on this roster in terms of the upperclassmen. It's hard to say with the freshmen just because you haven't seen what they can do in a half or a full season of college basketball. But Kayvon Allen showcases qualities that other players on this team simply have not showcased before in long stretches. When he's out aggressive early, when he's taking, when he's crashing the boards on defense and electing to take it up himself and push it, it changes the scout of what the defense has to do. It causes confusion, and more than anything else, because Kayvon's become a better passer, creates so many opportunities for his teammates around the arc. You know it when Kayvon can drive and kick to an open uh, player on the wing, whether it's Keontae or DeAndre or even Andrew Nemhard playing off the ball. That's when they get good 
open three-point attempts, not the contested three-pointers we see late in the shot clock. It's not even as much as Kayvon Allen as the shooter or Kayvon Allen as the passer. It's Kayvon Allen as the aggressor at the point, especially because Andrew Nemhard cannot play a full 40 minutes at point guard. You really have an X factor when you have Kayvon there and he's aggressive early. You, you lead me to two, two points, or well, one is not related, but you lead me to a point I want to get to instead now because you set it up nicely, which is Nimhard's minutes. Um, probably, you know, some, you, you got to think Mike White wants to manage those minutes as much as possible against Mercury, the Gulf Coast, no? Yeah, no, I I think he'll definitely try and have a little bit of a restriction in his minutes. I mean, his numbers were comparable in non-conference play in terms of LaSalle and Charleston Southern. His minutes more were there, more on par with um, his seasonal minutes against better teams like Michigan State, West Virginia, that group. But he only played 22 minutes against North Florida, and that's a game that they were able to get, a ha- get ahead of and get a lead and start playing nicely in that game. You just can't play him that long against Mercer, and you can't play him that much against FGCU in the Orange Bowl Classic, I think, is the next game after that, right? Yeah, Because after that, you got Butler. Then you have South Carolina, and for his bad as South Carolina has been this season, they still have a top 60 defense, according to Ken Palm. Then he's going to be going against Kamar Baldwin and uh, Butler, who has been one of the better uh, upperclassmen guards in the country. Then... You have Arkansas, who has been better than expected, Tennessee, Mississippi State. Like, that's a grueling start to the SEC schedule, plus Butler again, who's already seen you play and is going to be more prepared for you the next time around. You really got to try and get Nemhart to 20 minutes in these next two games. You obviously don't want him to get rusty, but I, I would say let him start the game. Don't let him finish the end of the first half. Get him in early in the second half, and hopefully you get enough of a lead where you can rest him for the final 10 minutes because even for as good and effective as he's been, especially in late in that second half against Michigan State, you can't tire out a kid who's 6'5 and, quite frankly, still a bit undersized when he's going to be going against bigger SEC guards. Yeah, and he's going to as you mentioned, against the Arkansas and the Mississippi States, and you open like well go to the sec you know floor should eat some you always you played them um you know from reality standpoint and that that'll be a kasani uh dogging him for 40 minutes and and so yeah i mean i think 20 to 25 minutes like for a combo guy you know mike should be able to handle it minutes against Mercer and Florida Gulf Coast, right? So I think it's just important that at least to the extent possible, you try to get Jalen Hudson going in these next two games and you manage the minutes for guys like Nimhart and Deontay Johnson who are going to play a lot of, I think, in the SEC play. Yeah, and exactly. For as much as we talked about managing minutes with guys like Nemhard, this is also a great opportunity to get. Noah Locke has gotten his solid share of minutes, but like a game versus Mercer can be a great opportunity where you, again, just let Noah Locke let some shots fly. You let Dante Bassett learn how to set a screen in real time. You, you try and get Michael O'Carr's confidence up. You try and get Isaiah Stokes going. And Isaiah is another guy I sort of want to talk about in a second because I think defensively and offensively, he's a guy that gives Florida a bit of a different look on offense. But we'll get to that uh, in a bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I want to dive into uh, into some of that with, with the bigs. I know at, at 
uh, Florida BB Hour, I did a thread on Biggs because I, I saw some, you know, some of the ire in the Michigan State game was directed at Florida's Biggs, which, you know, partly is just people that don't, and I'm not knocking casual fans, I get it, uh, but Michigan State has one of the best front courts in the country. So yes. if you didn't enter the game with that understanding, I can see why you're suddenly furious at, at Florida's bigs. And what I'll say about that before, you know, you talk about the things that Isaiah Stokes offers as his uh, as his minutes increase. And we saw a little bit of his capability in West Virginia. But, you know, I think Coach White knew that, uh, certainly when, when he brought in Al Pinkins. Now, look, Obviously, Armand Gates was was at Florida for a month, but <laughs> you know, I think I think some of the, at least from what I what I was able to gather from the sources that I was able to talk to about it, you know, some of it really was comfort in the fit, and and the more that White looked at the team from the last two years and evaluated the program, the more he felt they were doing a nice job of developing guards and swing, but not such a great job of developing their bigs that fair to say yeah I I think that's completely fair to say and as you mentioned that's one of the big reasons that they brought in Al Pinkins I mean if you look at the job that he did with guys like Zach Smith at Texas Tech in recent years their front court is one of the reasons that they beat Florida in that uh, NCAA tournament game and I mean a lot of it did have to do with she was a foul trouble but I mean if you remember the alley-oop that just about sealed it at the end and the way that they were able to crash the boards get Florida into foul trouble and get to the line that's that's something that you obviously got to give Chris Beard and Al Pinkins some credit to it's it's the offensive front court is is slowly coming along but they're still hampered by the fact that I'm just not sure whether Gax can be able to return to 100%. I mean, he will be coming back at some point, but with the amount of injuries and stress he's put uh, on similar body parts from similar injuries, it's tough to say whether he's going to be able to come back and be the 100% Gorjot Gak type of guy that you thought he was going to be. But even if you disregard him and you disregard whatever's going on, unfortunately, with Chase Johnson and his concussion situation – you look at what he's tried to do with Keith Stone. I think he's instilled a little bit of confidence in Keith Stone and a little bit more willingness in Keith Stone to crash the offensive boards. Cavarius uh, has always been playing with heart. Uh, his hands are something that Florida fans and myself uh, will consistently be frustrated at. But if it hasn't come along in three and a half years, it's probably not going to come along now. And then you got to look at Isaiah Stokes because he's a, he's basically your only wide-bodied center in the post who can bang with a guy who's slightly taller than him simply because he's basically 270 pounds and a borderline stud offensive tackle what he could have been at any any SEC program if he wanted to play football, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, wherever. Isaiah Stokes, I think it's been a matter of confidence with him. I think he was a little bit hesitant to go out and get a full run in his knees and really feel like he's back, but kudos to him. He's certainly lost a tremendous amount of weight. He could probably still lose 10 to 15 more pounds to get into key shape but defenses do not know how to play Isaiah Stokes if you watched the uh, West Virginia game and you sort of see Isaiah Stokes roll out there and then you saw him in minimal time against Michigan State teams don't know to honor his mid-range jump shot teams don't know to honor his three-pointer I know he's only taken two of those on the season and missed both against Florida State but along with that he has a bit of range and he's got some nice post moves around the rim even when they don't go in he keeps defenses engaged, at least forces the other team to show some help, and has done 
done a good job at getting fouled around the rim. He's a guy who can get Florida more attempts at the foul line. Now, if that's I don't I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing for Florida at the moment, but he's a guy that can give you a better half court look in. You look at Florida's offense early in the game, specifically their half-court offense. Honestly, I want you to look back. I can't remember the first offensive Florida set Florida has run with Kaveris Hayes starting where the ball doesn't go to, I think, the right elbow extended and then thrown into Hayes on a post play. I don't know why they've thought for the past three years in the media post play that Kaveris Hayes is the way to start the offense, but it's what they've done a lot. Isaiah Stokes has a much better chance of doing something with that ball, specifically catching it, than Kavarius has been able to give them in the past three or four years. Yeah, I think they want to go inside out, obviously, and and mm-hmm. and it, so it starts that way. But but yeah, I mean, the, the problem is that Hayes is just so limited in terms of what he can do offensively. So some of that, I think, when you bring in Pinkins, you you're you're acknowledging that some of that's about development and and the failure to sort of develop him. And I think. The big missed opportunity there is less post play though with Kavarius and more that I feel like the prior staff might have developed him into a stretch four type kind of guy, mm-hmm. um, where where they would have been a little more comfortable with his jump shot game. But I do think there's still time to save, you know, uh, Dante Bassett in that respect too because he is such a oh yeah he is such a highly skilled offensive player. Um, they just have to get him engaged to finish. Uh, and and I don't mean when I say engaged defensively. We all know that Dante showed last year that he can rebound and that he's not a mm-hmm. attack the glass. But you know, you almost expect a guy as big as Stokes to struggle in his first taste of college basketball at fouling, learning how to defend without fouling. But I think Stokes is less of a liability to put on the floor for extensive minutes right now, just because when when Dante does defend, he fouls too much. So. It's a, it's a really tough deal because, like you said, Florida starts and ends with its defense. Then you get a player as skilled as bad, which is why Arkansas coveted him so much. Mike Anderson loves those bigs that can score. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get in a situation where a guy like, you know, Dante just – he has to set better screens. There's little things he has to do to earn the minutes so many Gators fans want to see because they like that he can score around the back. They like that he can hit a three. Yes, exactly. And and one of the things you mentioned is, is screen setting is definitely something that they've tried to work with him on. He doesn't as much set a screen as just sort of stand in the general vicinity. And what's unfortunate about that is Bassett offensively can pick and pop and he can go to the basket and he can pull up and he can drive hard to the rack. And he has so many different versatile things he can do with his offensive game, but it all starts, like you mentioned, with the little things or with just being able to switch quicker on defense and pick up an assignment instead of sort of standing flat-footed and taking a second too long to realize what's going on. And one more quick point about Kavarius Hayes, which I will give him credit. In the last four games against Butler, North Florida, West Virginia, and Michigan State, he has six offensive rebounds, two offensive rebounds, two offensive rebounds, and four offensive rebounds. He actually ranks in the top 60 in the country in offensive rebound percentage. Yeah. If there's if there's one thing you have to give credit for to Hayes for, it's been that him, along with Stone, ha- has really done a good job of crashing that offensive glass and at least coming down with it. Now, when he gets to the foul line, it's a different story in terms of efficiency and whether he'll score. But Kavarius has done a better job and a better job at learning where to be when a shot goes up instead of just standing in the general pain area. So I will give Kavarius a bunch of credit on that. He has probably been this team's best offensive rebounder, which he should at this point. He is their senior 
center leader, but that's definitely something that he's improved upon and something I've noticed has been different in his game the last couple of contests that Florida have played. Well, you know, and, and I would agree, and you know, analytically, again, statistics say he's having the best offensive year of his career. Um, his, you know, that that all has to be taken with however you want to take it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, maybe that's a testament to time with Coach Payne. You know, I certainly think when when senior day comes along, the one thing you won't be able to say about Kyrgios Hayes is that he didn't work hard. I mean, the guy is invested and, and plays his rear end off. So it's some, sometimes you just – a player just kind of is what they are. <laughs> Yeah, it's and and it's it's again it's it's nothing against Kavarius. It's 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 not per se his fault. It's just that he's limited and I think I think a lot of times fans expect a little too much out of each guy. Just because this is the only thing Kavarius can do doesn't mean he's a bad person or the worst basketball player ever. It's just it's what his game is. It, not everyone can step out, shoot three-pointers, put it on the ground, be, be a rebounding machine. His thing has and always will be effort, and it's one of the reasons why he gets so many minutes and why White has been such a big fan of him. He's going to be your effort guy. You can't expect too much skill, per se, out of him, where his numbers and his attributes that he puts on the board really have to do with his motor. Yeah, I mean, he's, and he's, he's a prolific shot blocker, and I think he is a high-level defender because his feet are so quick, but, but it's just not – there's a ceiling to his offensive game, and he might be hitting it right now well and and Kavarius, you put a good point about being a better rim to turn he's gotten much better at not trying to block everything on the weak side which has been a problem the last couple <laughs> of years and why he's sort of gotten so many blocks up to that point but he's gotten better at sort of on ball blocks and knowing when to come over without completely leaving his assignment the last thing with him you're right it, the last three seasons he's ranked in the top 36 in block percentage like this is a guy who can get swats in the paint and can make a difference at the rim. It's just a matter of picking his spots. And he's never going to know better than with this much experience as a senior. And he's not going to get another chance next year. So this is where he really has to make the most of those opportunities and use what he sort of learned and grown over the last three years. So before we kind of talk about the, we've talked a little bit about Mercer, Florida Gulf Coast. We mentioned that the Butler game waits. And I think as close to a must win as Florida has, um, at least for the next couple weeks. Uh, you know, if, if you took the next five games and said, what's the game they have to win? I'd say, I'd say Butler. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously you can't lose the conference opener to South Carolina. But Especially Butler, at home. Yeah. yeah. Butler, just from a resume standpoint, is it's so important that they avenge that loss. It's almost like a two for one. So it's a huge game. Um, that said, you know, they're five and four. People are miserable, but according to Kim Palm and Sagarin, they're the second best four loss team in the country. Only Purdue is, is slated higher, and Purdue's basically the opposite of Florida. They can score, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it's funny that they're 10th in offensive efficiency, Purdue, and 57th in defense. Florida's 64th in offense, 7th in defense. So, when I say that they're opposites, I mean that they're opposites. Um, and, and Florida and, and can, can, can I can I make one sort of point uh, about the schedule coming up as well in terms yeah. of not not to put too much of a burden or um, say it was too much of a disappointment in the non-conference how, how they've been five and four so far, but 
some of those games, Oklahoma, I think, is a game that, that you're really going to want to have back. And Florida State, you put in the past, but not that the SEC isn't still a good league, but the SEC so far in non-conference has looked a notch below the ACC, Big 12, and Big 10. It, right. ju- it just sort of has. And right now, a lot of people thought they could be the second best conference. It's looking like the fourth best. So, well, you still can make a resume January through March. And I think that's one of the biggest sort of stay calm points that Florida fans need to realize. You also can't get too comfortable with that because while the league is good, it's not as elite as you thought it would be. Yeah. And I think the flip side of that is Oklahoma looks really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're eight and one. But it, just, but in terms of a game they could have won where they played so poorly and they oh, still lost by five. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I, it just it more complements the point you're making. Is is look, and maybe that should encourage people. Is you know, Florida did not play well at all against Oklahoma. Lost by five. Oklahoma's eight and one. They've annihilated everyone but the game they lost. They just beat a Greg Marshall team by thirty two, which is very hard to do. <laughs> Um, I mean, you run a Wichita State team out of the building and tip your hat. Uh, so I think, I think, yeah, that's that's one that stings for Florida, and I think it stings on the back end just because of what Florida gave up, as we talked about on the show. Just the chance to play Wisconsin, the chance to maybe play Virginia. They got a chance to play Butler, and they lost. Uh, so they need to get that one back, and then you know you have a January, which despite the Arkansas-Tennessee-Mississippi State stretch is probably a little easier a month than Florida has in February. Yeah, and and, and sort of, you're obviously going to clean up against Mercer and Florida Gulf Coast, Gulf Gulf Coast, and if not, (laughs) you you really have a real problem there. But it's it's a matter of they're still developing their identity, which which Mike White has has sort of shown. And it's they're they're one of the younger teams in college basketball. It's sort of what we've talked about before. And they're sort of playing everyone. You look at in terms of more analytics, they're playing the 24 guys coming off the bench are garnering 39 percent of their total minutes, which ranks 24th in the country like this is a team that is going deep and using a lot of guys. I think Nembhard's right. sort of starting to come into his own, which is a freshman point guard. You can't expect him right off the bat to be absolutely amazing. I mean, it's it's one of the tougher positions to come in and play, especially when you're basically deemed the starter. But th- this team has the ability and the capability to turn it around. It is and it has been a frustrating product to watch. You listen to some of the uh, national college basketball podcasts, uh, CBS, NBC, and they're calling Florida disappointed but intriguing. And and I think disappointed but intri- disappointing but intriguing, it sucks if you're a fan. But if you really take a big picture look at it, it shows that nationally it's still recognized statistically and from the eye test that there is talent and there is potential there and they're still graded as an NCAA tournament team, even if they're getting closer and closer to the bubble each game, there's still hope for the team because they've shown defensively, and that's usually something that has to come along, but they've shown defensively that they are elite at this point. It's not even just very good. They've shown that they are one of the probably five best defenses in the country, and they're showing that night in, night out. Even in a loss to Michigan State, you hold them to, I think I think 63 was their lowest point total of the season. Yeah, it on that. yeah, yeah, it was. It, you still hold... Michigan State, who is ranked fifth in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency, to just 63 points. And again, defense is something that usually has to come along. Great, you already have that. The offense in transition, 
looks like a completely different team than it does in the half court. And even if it doesn't, and even if it means increasing the amount you want to play in transition, it's not as much of just doing that as it is playing fast and getting out with your skilled offensive guards. I think of anything, that's how Jalen Hudson, who we also haven't really talked about, is going to make his stance and his comeback. If when he's in, he is running out in transition and starts finishing on some of those opportunities, that's when he gets hot on those transition catch and shoot threes from sort of the elbow extended area. A lot of that obviously has to do with defense as well, but for as bad as his defense is, if he can start to show once again that his offense is really where it was last year, that'll be one slow way to garner minutes. Obviously, defense and effort will be the main way, but it's just, I think that's how Jalen can get back into his groove. I think we saw in the PK-80 last year when he's out and he's playing fast and the defense is in set and he gets to make the first move and he is the quick first step. That's when Jalen Hudson gets into his bag. Otherwise, when he feels like his minutes are limited, he chucks up about a bunch of bad uncontested shots, hoping a couple will get in and he can get hot. And if not, he just felt like he was going to get pulled anyways. Yeah. I think I'd play him early against Mercer. And, I agree. And Florida golf coast. If I'm Mike white, go out there and, and play him early and, and see, you know, what kind of defensive intensity he has when the game is still very much in doubt. And, uh, and, and also see, you know, how aggressive he is with, with the basketball. I mean, if he's just going to take a couple dribbles and take a contested step back three, now we know he can make those, but a lot of times when he makes those, he's already made two or three shots. Yes, right? exactly. So, That's exactly what I mean. He can't try and get him started playing quick and have him forcing contested threes. You have to get him spread out and let him really work on his opportunity. And it's also right. a matter of psychologically, Jalen has to realize, don't feel like you need to go out and force two shots. That's how you've been pulled. I, the talent isn't lost to Jalen Hudson. You, you don't just magically lose that ability, at, at least in my eyes. There's there's still something there, and it's, I think, why the, the project hasn't been completely given up on. And again, still only nine games into the season. For, for as much as, like, there's a lot of doom and gloom talk about Florida basketball, like, like they're nine games into the season. Like, Andrew Nemhart still has not played ten College, 10 Division One college basketball games like Keontae Johnson, Isaiah Stokes, all these guys still have not even played 10 games. So I think a deep breath is needed. And I still think there's a need to quell like I don't get this fire Mike White talk, no matter if they win or lose, man. They lose to Michigan <laughs> State and what's a great second half comeback in a the game. They are not supposed to win. Like I, I understand Ken Palm originally had them winning by one and then losing by three and the line sort of shifted in Vegas as well. But like they came out and they play they played as hard as they could and really came back in the second half. Like you can't call for a dude to be fired after losing to the tenth team in the country at home in a really tight game. It's just I, I don't even want to bring it up because it's it's a it's a moot and stupid point, but it's just like it's a lot of stupidity out there. Yeah, I mean, I get look, and I and I talked to to a couple of our our uh, listeners that have been with us since the beginning about it, and and I think the point that they made is that people are frustrated with the offense, and and that it's a it's been a couple years of these stagnant periods where Florida can't score, where guys don't cut, um, you know, and so they want to see improvement. And the point I'd make is that. You know, I understand that. Uh, I, I agree with that. I also think that that Coach White is is a coach that's improving, that's self-critical, and and I, I just want that to be fair. 
when we jump to these these conclusions about firing Mike White, we ignore things like what Amizo said after the game, which is uh, I wouldn't want to play Florida in February or March. Okay, so if your opinion is fire Mike White, okay, that's fine. But I don't know what your opinion as a fan would be of Tom Izzo, whose evaluation of Florida after the game, you know, one of the – a Hall of Fame coach was, oh, look at that young team that I wouldn't want to play in February or March. And and it's exactly right, just like Izzo says. This is a team that is still gelling. You see these problems with young teams. I mean, listen, like Kentucky seems to, even if it's not really a slow start with – their usual freshman-heavy teams always sort of seem to have that bump earlier in the season. And I'm not saying Florida's Kentucky, but, like, there's some patience needed when you're bringing in a young team. And, again, even though Mike White's true first full recruiting class was, um, I guess you could call it last season in terms of, like, a high-profile class, he still didn't have Stokes and he didn't have Chase Johnson last year. This is really the first year that he's gotten to work in a system with his guys and get them integrated into it. I mean, we mentioned it's one of the youngest teams in college basketball, but this is a year where Mike White has his guys for his system. And now that's both a positive and a negative, a negative in terms of people maybe wondering why it's not gelling yet, but a positive in terms of they're still getting the offense. They're still learning it. They've clearly grasped the defense. Mike White has a system designed for success for his players. Like when you see the half court sets, they run with Andrew Nemhard and the passes that he can make. And when they're running effective on, on ball screens, which is where a lot of their really solid offense comes in terms of driving kick or driving score with Andrew Nemhard, like the offense is designed for success for them. Mike White cannot go out there and literally run point guard for the team. If if Jalen Hudson's out there and he's not cutting or Keith Stone is standing around, there's only so much you can do as a coach. And it's it, it doesn't all come on to Mike White. There's clearly some room for criticism in terms of maybe spots where he, he could have went with different rotations or, or ran something different on offense. But I think a lot of the stuff like free throw shooting, when, when you see people tweet things like, well, why isn't this team shooting hundreds of free throws in practice? I'm sure they are. Like we, <laughs> we just, we just don't happen to be there. I can assure you that the free throw issue isn't going on. And Mike White doesn't address his team and go, you know, we haven't been shooting free throws, but eh, we'll probably get better next time. Like <laughs> it's, it's just, I'm, I'm sure that's not happening. I'm not at, practice but i i can assure you it's it, it, mike white's not out there shooting free throws there there's definitely some things you can pick on him for but like it, there's just better places to pick your spots you know yeah and and i'm glad you brought up kentucky because i'll i'll kind of leave us with this and i want to get a final thought from you on just what you want to see in the next two games but but uh you know kentucky seven and two florida has a better win than kentucky um kentucky really doesn't have a quality win They've they've lost to the only two really good teams they play. I mean, you, Winthrop is okay, and Kentucky beat them. But you know, <laughs> ask Kentucky fans if they're satisfied with a Winthrop win in November. No, <laughs> and 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 they certainly aren't. And it's, I mean, one of the biggest stories in college basketball was that Kentucky was returning three guys who averaged nine points or more per game, and that like never happens with Kentucky or with Coach Calipari team, specifically at Kentucky. One and of one those of guys who was on that list 
Quade Green is now transferring. Quade Green, if you remember, people in the offseason were talking about him as one of the key returning contributors in the country for one of the Blue Blood teams in Kentucky. Quade was supposed to be a game changer. And I mean, you watch the team so far and like it's hard to tell who their straight up best player is. I mean, on some nights it's Keldon Johnson. Some nights it's PJ Washington. I, I think Reed Travis has done a solid job, but I don't think he's necessarily putting up numbers that people weren't expecting. I still think there's room for growth for Reed Travis and sort of fitting into this offense, but it's been, it's been a slightly disappointing season for Kentucky. Now, a lot of it has might have to come down to scheduling in terms of they've only played two top or three top 100 Ken Palm teams. They've lost two of those in Seton Hall and Duke and won one in UNC Greensboro. It's they, they got a good game coming up against Utah at home, which it should be a chance for them to get back on track. But it's in terms of the main problem with them is that Kentucky cannot hit a three and they really cannot defend the three. Like I, I don't see another power five team giving up as many three point opportunities and open three point opportunities than Kentucky has. If there's just one thing that stands out about them, it's like they just can't defend the arc, man. Yeah, no, I mean, and 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 you're right. Like, I mean, with Reed Travis and all that firepower returning, plus Kelvin Johnson, this was supposed to be it certainly wasn't supposed to be a team that gets run off the floor by Duke. There's no shame in that. Um, and to lose to Seton Hall, who I think is you know a seven or an eight seed type team. Um, with a coach I don't like that much, and you're up there now. Uh, certainly a coach that – you want to talk about a coach on the hot seat? I mean, yeah, I actually – funny story, I will be I will be at Rutgers-Seton Hall tomorrow. So I will have, I will have a, I guess, a direct report for you guys next time I'm on the podcast. But I, I know some people aren't, aren't thrilled with uh, sort of how Kevin Willard has done. But um, I, I, th- I think he's had a solid start to the season like he – He's beaten Grand Canyon as sort of not what we expected, Miami team and Kentucky. The Louisville game was extremely close. He probably shouldn't lose to St. Louis, and they got run out of the gym by Nebraska. But uh, I, I think Miles Powell is one of the most intriguing players in college basketball in terms of, like, like he, he, was, very, he was very solid last season. But, like, he's looked like a completely different player this year. Like, like Miles Powell has looked really good this season and he's their X factor, but like outside of Miles Powell, I, I just, I, I don't know how much Seton Hall has. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a whole nother tangent though. That's <laughs> we're out in La La land to, to everybody. Uh, just let, let's let Jay close it out with, uh, just give me, you know, give me kind of the, what to watch for. Uh, Mercer, Florida Gulf Coast. Like if you're just watching this with a critical eye, obviously Florida's going to probably get two wins. The the Eagles in particular are surprisingly bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what? What is what's Florida trying to do? Um. So so when you look at those two games coming up, I, I think you need to manage minutes where everyone's playing a pretty equal amount, and you just want to see sort of some set offensive plays. And while you've seen them had success, basically what you'd like to see them do is start the game early, running fast, generate a big enough lead where they can feel comfortable to really try some things out in the half court. But that being said, you can't let either of those teams hang around. If you really want to use it as a development game and as the buy game that you're using it has, you have to come out, you have to beat those teams up early, and then run some things that you haven't been able to in higher-level games against teams like Butler, West Virginia, Michigan State, uh, Stan- even Stanford. I mean, Florida State. It, 
you, you need to come out and try things that you have not tried this year just for the sake of right. after Florida Gulf Coast, you do not have an opportunity to try out things anymore. You don't have an opportunity to test what works, what doesn't like. After those two games, you sort of got to have your game plan and go. And unless there's catastrophic returns of, of just things you're not expecting, this is basically the team that you're going to see through the SEC schedule. So I would like to see a few changes in the half-court offense. But in order to do that, you really got to get up early in those games. You, you can't let either team hang around or it's going to be another stressful experience, putting more physical and emotional stress on these players than they need to handle before going into, for as much as the SEC is down more down than we expected, a really hard start against basically three top 50 Ken Palm teams at Arkansas, at Bud Walton, which is just one of the hardest places to play in the country, at home versus Tennessee, and at Mississippi State. Like, you got to be ready for those games, and the only way you can be ready for those games is if you get pretty much everyone confident in these next two games coming up. It's going to be a big chance for Mike White to show some different looks in the half-court offense, for him to give Andrew Nemhart a little rest, and for him to get Kayvon in Kayvon mode this Florida team needs it just haven't shoot a ton of shots against those two teams like go in or not you just want to see cave on aggressive and you want to see Jalen Hudson generate some sort of confidence and show that he's willing to play defense and he's willing to be not even just a high level member but a contributing member of this Florida basketball team yep well Jake thanks for uh joining Florida basketball hour and and we will uh be back in touch with people uh probably right after the Orange Bowl Classic so um, thanks for, for everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's our show for this week. We uh, thank you for listening. Again, we'd ask that you subscribe to our show if you listen via iTunes or Spotify or any of the services where you can download and subscribe and provide a, a rating. Tell us uh, you know what we can do better, You know what kind of guest you'd like to see uh and 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 that kind of stuff any feedback is is good feedback and and we certainly would appreciate the uh subscriptions but um i hope you enjoyed the show and again happy holidays to all